Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by SeatGeek. That is our presenting sponsor. Buy and sell tickets in two taps on your phone. Everything fully guaranteed. NBA fans, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets. All you have to do is use promo code BSNBA. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by Bluehost, a top-rated website provider powering over 2 million websites for bloggers and small business owners. Design your personal or small business website your way without being limited by templates. Simple enough for beginners, powerful enough for even the most advanced users. Right now, our listeners save 50%. Whoa, 50%. When you sign up at bluehost.com slash Bill Simmons. Again, that's bluehost.com slash Bill Simmons. Finally, please subscribe to the Ringer NFL show or download it because I went on there yesterday with Tate Frazier and Mike Lombardi to talk about the very controversial Patriots trade of Jimmy Garoppolo. We talked about conspiracy theories. We got Lombardi to uh, try to admit that he was wrong about the Eagles. He is standing pat. Um, We talked about trade deadline, all kinds of good stuff. It's a really good podcast. So listen to that one on the Ringer NFL show. If you want to hear me talk about the Patriots coming up, we're going to talk to um, one of the smartest people in the, publishing industry, Janice Mann. But first, Pearl Jam. This is exciting. We've, we've done a couple Smart Guy Wednesdays. So I've been dying to do a Smart Gal Wednesday. Janice Mann. Hi. One I'm- of the smartest. <laughs> What's your title now? I don't even know how to describe it. Okay, so I was writing The Hollywood Reporter for a long time, and now I work for the parent company, The Owner, which also, my owner also owns The Dodgers, so today is a good day. Oh, wow. Yes. I bet you can get decent seats. I'm going tonight. It's it's one of the perks, Um, going tonight to Game 7. So so my title is I'm a strategist with Eldridge Industries. Strategist? Strategist, which sounds very... Strategic, right? That's Sounds exciting. Ominous. Um, but you were also running Billboard, though, too, I, right? I was running Billboard. So I did Hollywood Reporter and Billboard, and both of them required some uh, renovation work to be brought up to speed. So that was the job I had for seven years. So you take over Us Weekly, like 2002? Yes. Us Weekly, which I grew up with, was always like the ugly stepbrother of People Magazine. <laughs> People Magazine was like the awesome magazine. Right. Us Weekly was like kind of the stepbrother sad, that came sad. with it. Yeah. Yes. Moved in, it moved in like later and it smokes in the backyard and kind of stay away from it. It's got some pictures. Yes. And then over that decade, it became one of the great reads. Right. I was judged by magazines by reads, which is why I like The Hollywood Reporter. Mm -hmm. Um, You've been involved in two of my favorite magazines, which is why I wanted to have you on. But I liked, I like to get like 30 minutes out of my magazine. Totally. And so many of them don't aren't like that anymore. Us Weekly in its heyday, it was like, man, I got us, I got 35 well, minutes here with this Us Weekly. Yeah, it was- I'm ripping uh, through it. <laughs> I think the thing that was so fun about Us Weekly at the time, I mean, it was just, it was just like spot on in the zeitgeist, right? And I think we like- to, like. But it wasn't in 2002. No, it wasn't. And so it became, it became- So, but, so what happened? Uh, let's see. So you go in and you say, 
how do we be different from People Magazine? Yes. How do we stand out? And right. And there's a void here. Right. So how did you see the void? Um, so this is the void I saw. It was so I, you know, I had worked at People, and it was always even when I worked there in my early twenties, and even when I was there, you know, it was like, oh God, I'm never going to read this. It was just very. It always felt like something your mother would. Read. It was a lot of like children falling into wells, yeah. and really yeah. earnest. And you know, I hate earnest. Earnest is one of my least. But then, like things. the fifty best looking celebrities, that right. would be an issue. Yeah. They would kind of straddle both worlds. They would, they tried, right? There's a lot they, of Americana. Yes, and it, and it's very broad and hugely successful. So I'm not demeaning anything yeah, that they've no, done. It's, it's it just still wasn't working. my thing, right? Yeah. And like even to this day, I would still think of it as a magazine my mom reads, even though I'm now like the mom and the demographic of that publication. But at Us Weekly, like you could just sort of see the tide shifting, and you could see this relationship with celebrity completely changing. Where, um, you know, I think the '90s were built on this whole idea of access journalism for publications and you know models don't go on magazines anymore celebrities do so this whole competition to get um celebrities on covers and some of them being you know forced on by harvey weinstein but whatever that's yeah. what we'll talk, about, talk that about, later. about him later um but the um uh and so then this this access journalism as i think people in media now know you have there are so many compromises with that right that you Oh my God, can you not mention the DUI? Can you, you know, let's not talk about the divorce. And it becomes, so all the sort of rough She'll edges. do the photo shoot, yes. but you can't mention yes. that she broke up that guy's marriage. Right. So all Leave the, that out. Totally. So all the rough edges are get sanded off. Yeah. And so then, you know, you get this sort of picture perfect, you know, Julia Roberts served up to you, you know, from your interview in the lobby of the Beverly Hills Hotel, where she, it's amazing. She doesn't eat, she, no, she eats a hamburger, but she's so thin and beautiful. I know. How does and, she do that? Yeah, how does she do she it? She two cheeseburgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she's not wearing makeup, but she's so beautiful. She's and so naturally pretty. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so that kind of that kind of journalism, I felt like in the in the world of publishing, really dominated in the '90s. And so, but but, but hold on though, right? That changed near the end of the decade because the early part of the decade, there was good stuff going on, like Vanity Fair was having a resurgence. Yes. Spy was still there for the yes. first part of the decade. Yes. Entertainment Weekly was right. okay. really good. Premiere was good. I agree. But then it shifted, and I don't never understood why it shifted. I think a shift. I think the access game got hard, and I also think I also think that this is not blaming anyone, but I think that um, I think that editors get co-opted too. I think that I think that it's hard to stay the course when someone when all these powerful, famous people want you know they want to befriend you, whatever their motivations are. They want, and this is again going back to Weinstein, which we'll talk about. They want to maybe give you money. They want to they want to option your stories. They and I, I and invite that's, you to parties and dinners parties. that you yes. couldn't have gone through five and years ago. I think it's very very hard. I think I, I'm. Kim Masters, who's one of the writers of The Hollywood Reporter, who you couldn't corrupt, you know, even if you right. put like five million dollars in front of her. Um, the you know, she she always said like the, there's there's almost no editor who cannot who hasn't been corrupted. And that and and that she's someone who will tell you tales often about her stories when she worked uh, at various publications, Vanity Fair, Premier Time that 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 got killed or were sort of softened and managed into non-existence. Um, she did have a funny story, and I'll get back to what we were talking about. She told me this funny story, and I think she wrote about it once for us, when um, um, she did a story about Michael Ovitz throwing a fit. I, I can't remember at which restaurant in, in L.A. at the time, and it was the, the thing, and he was at the top of his power. And Rupert Murdoch, uh, Rupert Murdoch owned Premier at the time. Mm. And, uh, and so... So Ovitz knows this story. This item is coming about him throwing a fit. One of these little gossip items. And he calls Susan Line. 
who was then the editor of Premiere, and Susan Lyon went on to run ABC Entertainment and Guilt Group and a bunch of other stuff. And so uh, he's trying to get Susan Lyon enraged. And so it, anyway, it becomes this whole behind-the-scenes drama, as these stories often do, over, you know, Michael Ovitz complaining about where he's sitting in a restaurant. And so then Susan Lyon <laughs> calls Rupert Murdoch and just says, Listen, oh, and then Ovitz is threatening to call Rupert Murdoch. And so Susan Lyon calls Rupert and, and reads the item to him. And, and Rupert said, wait, can you read it to me again? Because it's so hilarious. I have to know how I can retell it to my friends. And that was it. And that, so, you know, wow. that's, so he's one of those people. I mean, so maybe he's obviously Fox News is a whole other situation and that can be used as, a, as an exception. Right. But, you know, he's one of those people who I think has let his journalists, you know, do what they need to do. Um, but so the access game, yes, it changed things. And then also the culture of celebrity was changing. I, I always say it's no coincidence that reality TV and Us Weekly rose at the same time. And it was a, it was a sort of, you know, breaking through of um, what we considered celebrity and also this idea, and you can think of it as a precursor to social media now, this intimacy that celebrity is just within anyone's grasp, right? And so it's this familiarity that younger people were beginning to feel, that uh, you could call Britney Spears is not Britney, and as an Us Weekly former reader, you would know she's Britney. You know, yeah. she's one name. She's Christina Aguilera is Christina. And uh, this this idea that they were somehow, these these young celebrities were part of a uh, young, uh, young person's own social world. And this intimacy that you felt and also... Um, and then you saw these celebrities also participating in that, that the whole breaking through into stardom wasn't just about the glossy photo shoot, but also doling out your person, you know, your personal stories in a way that got you more attention. Um, so it was, it was the sense of, it was a sense of that being able to, you know, package those people in a way that made them interesting to a young audience. Um, and also to get people excited about them. Right. And, um, uh, I always felt like the nineties were, there's a separation between fans and celebrities, right? Yes. So, so like, for example, the Pam Anderson sex tape comes out in 1996, right. pre-internet. Right. This was like this massive moment for guys in their 20s. Where right. Like, Pam Anderson's having sex on tape? Like, right. what? Whoa. This is incredible. And now 20 years later, people would be like, eh. You might not you even know. click on it, right? And, it, and it's been this gradual push in 20 years. And I think what you mentioned with like that, that beginning of the, uh, the two thousands, cause I was working at Jimmy's show at the beginning yeah. of that. And it was right when the reality craze was starting. Right. So it started with survivor in 2000, but then it started to go and the bachelor mm -hmm. and all these shows. But then all of a sudden I remember like, uh, Whitney and Bobby had a show. Right. Remember that all yes. of a sudden these people were on TV and they, they were like famous celebrities. Right. Right. It's like, you're going to be, you have a reality show. Right. And it just seemed like, we started moving closer right. to the celebs, and now into that comes Us Weekly. Yes, right. With the pictures and stars are just like the us. Stars Look, there's just, Ben Affleck getting coffee. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's just like he's who, taking his garbage. He's just right. like me. Who knew he had garbage? I right? had no idea Ben Affleck had garbage. <laughs> uh, and I can't tell you the number of times people still use that phrase today. Right, the stars. It just encapsulates it's genius. It's like it was well, and also like the the there was. Did you? You must have started Stars Like Us, right? No, my or was predecessor, that in there? Bonnie Fuller, did. Right, I, so I was, was her yeah, deputy at the time, but she the, started uh, it. Fashion Police was from the 90s, she, right? Yes. No, yes, and it was not funny, and then it became funny. Became and, super funny. Yes, and people were like, it was like, it was, I thought, a real breakthrough moment. There were several breakthrough moments there where I thought this was moving the needle ahead for us when we would have big names come to us wanting to do it, right? And, um, and well, What about big names getting mad that they were in the Fashion Police? You must have had that all the time, right? Yeah, not really. I think it's like, 
it's one of those things. And I, this is the shift of that decade was, is any attention better than no attention? And uh, usually the answer is probably... Print the name right. Right. It's probably <laughs> yes, right? I think that... Um, uh, you, you think about... I, I always say this about celebrity in Hollywood. Like, it's like being elected to political office. You have to... The second you're in, the second you have that hit show or a movie, you are trying really hard to... You're thinking about your midterm election and maybe, you know, 2020. Like, you have to keep that alive and going. And how do you stay front of mind? How do you have people care about you? I mean, all their anxieties, and you see this again in all the Weinstein stuff, all their anxieties. It's, it's so, there is so much fear around all of that, that you, your last job was your last, was your last job. And, uh, so, so Us Weekly and that whole machinery around that sort of fed into the, the front of mind. Well, you also had, you had three, two magical, magical stories for Us Weekly. Probably the two best of all time. (laughs) I hear Affleck and J Lo, uh, magical, it, magical. I mean, how many covers and <laughs> I, and stories was I that? Mean, like like six, nine, twelve, I, fifteen months. I don't I, even at know. L- at least, and that was that was. And sort he's of- kind of fa- he's kind of falling apart behind the scenes a little bit. Yes. So you get those pictures of. I remember my. I don't even think she was my wife yet, but my future wife was like, "I'm worried about Affleck." <laughs> so us weekly photo. He just. <laughs> Looks like he's in bad shape. Are you sure he's all right? I'm like, I don't know. Is he, he's getting coffee. Um, but that was number one. And then then obviously the the mother load. Brad, Jen, Angelina. I mean, I'll never be re- it, I mean, it, it right. could be a seven hour documentary. I'll never be replicated. Completely. And we still I mean, you could not have you know, you couldn't have no no script writer, no writer's room in town could have made those up. It's the greatest right? it's the greatest Hollywood celebrity story probably of all time. The greatest. The greatest. Um, the biggest temptress in Hollywood. Right. At the peak of her powers. Yes. Demolishes the world's best celebrity couple. Yes. On a movie set. Uh-huh. Everyone's at the peak of their powers. Yes. It's unbelievable. And then do you remember how they did, then Brad and Angelina did that W photo shoot? Oh, yeah. Like, you just like salt in the wound. And uh. I mean, the whole... <laughs> It was, it was really... That and plus was, rumors of it for months and yes, months and months. So yes. you already had the seeds of that. Oh, it was... It was that was quite a saga. And I think... So that like triple your business? I mean, it, it just it just kept... Yes. I mean, like the, the reverberations of those stories were just huge, right? People like... It was like the crack cocaine of that decade, right? You yeah. just had to... You, could, you had to have more and more. Everyone and I, took sides? Yeah. <laughs> there were, weirdly, there was Angelina sides, which I never understood. Well, the bad girls. Well, so, right? yeah. Well, you can't judge love. I mean, right. if they love each other, right. you know, there's that. Or I was the like, whole, what? like, a woman can't break up a marriage. A man does yeah. it, too. Like, the, you know, the def- that that argument. Um, the um, But, you know, I... When you think about it, think how much celebrity has changed since then. You can't, what celebrity story would ever have that scale and scope today? There's not, nothing. Nothing. Nothing right? can happen. Nothing. And, you know, remember when Britney Spears was melting down and shaving her head and, you know, everybody is there. And that I, was a good one. And, and I like, I, I always like to tell this anecdote of when she was shaving her head in the salon and we sent a reporter over. We were second there. The first outlet there was CNN with the camera crew. And that was sort of how, how much that celebrity stuff had become part of the national conversation. And now, like, I mean, no one can do – it's so hard for anyone to care about anything a celebrity does. Like, try to get attention. It's – you know, you could you could have – you know, I don't know who's even a big, you know, Chris Pratt could walk naked across the street. And, yeah. Can't yeah, do it. Like, uh, you that's, know, I mean, but that's what's eroded over the last 20 yes. years. Right. There's right. no distance anymore. There's no distance. The no one- Ben, the Ben, uh, I'm sorry, the Brad Angelina Aniston, there was distance. That, I mean, know? they were 
like the gods of Hollywood, yeah. right? It's like it was. I mean, biggest it, TV show, yeah. high, probably the biggest male movie star, right? And the best looking actress on the planet, right. who also seemed like she was going to win like five or six Oscars. Totally. It was like Zeus, Hera, and you know uh, Aphrodite were all duking it out, and we, you know, we how's were... this not been a movie yet? By the way, I don't know. I right? would totally go if it was done the right? right way. I would totally go see the Ben the uh, Brangelina. Yeah, but I, I would also I... watch the Lifetime movie version of that too. It'd be, oh, it'd yeah. be kind of funny, right? It's probably happened. <laughs> probably did. Probably with a lot of bad actors. So, and then in 06... right? Well, first you had Paris Hilton. Pa- oh my god, that was more catnip. Yeah, and you know what? Paris was, it's, she's the one that has not sort of stood the test of time, right? She was too early. She was too early. She missed, she missed social media. Right. And now it's, it's weird. Paris Hilton's now maybe like the weird older lady, right? How did, like, and, and how did that happen? She taught Car- the Kardashians all her tricks and then they took right? it and made it this nine figure business. I mean, do, do you remember that photograph of Kim Kardashian, like following behind her, like a yeah, puppy? Yeah, studying. Like, yeah. St- <laughs> Studying the teacher, the tutor. <laughs> that, yes, some of her only schooling, probably. But yeah, she like she she <laughs> she, she mastered that right, and oh, then yeah. just like kneecapped her, and like you know, I'll take this, and that was it. I mean, there was this whole time when the celebrities really, really needed Us Weekly. That has desperately. shifted because I mean, this is inside baseball for Los Angeles, but you go to Robertson Boulevard now, and I would say forty percent of the stores are empty. And right. it, back in the day, Robertson Boulevard was the hottest place that had all the stores Completely. and all the celebrities walking up and down, hoping to get yep. inadvertently photographed because right. it ha, would ha. end up in Us Weekly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look, there's Paris Hilton right. happens to be coming out of the Ivy. Right. With seven photographers right. waiting right. for her. Right. Wearing an engagement ring. Is she engaged? Yeah. Oh, oh like, let's, what's she doing? Th- yeah. Let's turn that into a new yeah. cycle. Who's that guy she's with? Right. Right. And so it was, it was, there was something almost so like... Truman Show, like meta orchestrated about it at times. And I, I think I'm sure you remember, you know, Heidi and Spencer. <laughs> right. That's kind of when the wheels started yeah, to that, come off. Yeah, that, they, yes. When yeah. the people who weren't quite big enough celebrities were trying, were trying to orchestrate it. Yes. And that, that was, yeah, you could sort of begin, you really began to kind of have a bad taste in your mouth about where this was all headed. And Jersey Shore finally killed it. Yeah. Completely. I think Jersey Shore was, that might have been the true jump the shark moment. Though I, I yeah. would argue Real Housewives. I would argue, you know, we did we did a lot of apprentice coverage too. And that's when you really felt like you're uh, you know in the dregs yeah. of, of whatever Hollywood is and whatever ho- and you know to this day people you know are trying to define what Hollywood is and who are the actual stars. But that's where it really felt like it was, you know, that sort of magical uh you know podium that you put certain celebrities on um was like not really. It didn't there. exist. Didn't, it didn't exist. They you were, also had, you'd put photos of the celebrities reading the S Weekly, which I was so like. Ridiculous. Because <laughs> you know they're all reading it. They're all pretending they don't care, but they're all reading it in the okay. hair salon or something. The greatest moment, the greatest sort of meta moment of the Affleck J Lo relationship was they were driving. Okay, they went, to, <laughs> they went to a McDonald's drive in in a pink. Bentley convertible as one yeah. does. Right. And, um, and so I think she had her big 
pink diamond engagement ring at the time. And so they are, and they know they're getting followed and they know they're getting photographed and they deliberately like are reading us weekly, like practically uh, like over their covers. faces. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it was sort of this ingenious JLo moment. I would say she was, she to this day is one of the pros in how to, how to manage an image. Yeah, give me the Mount Rushmore. Who are the, who oh are the God. best? <laughs> who are the ones you admired from afar? JLo's got to be in there, yeah, right? J- I would say I put JLo on Mount Rushmore, Angelina Jolie. Mm, um, master. Master. Uh, she, she broke up somebody's marriage and somehow nobody thought of her is, as a villain yeah is a saint yeah so today is a saint and she, she has done great things she's in, incredible boy. how she pulled that yeah, off uh, incredible um okay god the mount rushmore i mean you know paris like filed her application to be a mount rushmore but failed didn't was not admitted um yeah she seemed like a almost a lock in 2006 right right so what killed her was the terrible reality show she did it made yeah. her seem less cool for some reason. Yeah. But she I, just was exposed as there just wasn't anything on the top just shelf. Not, that there's nothing there. But yeah. I also think she was exposed to, you know, to the point that we gen- we try to genuinely like our celebrities. We want to. Yeah. And she was she was expo- she was exposed as sort of a very not nice person. Right. And I think right. that I, I think there was there was a whole. Um, before everyone had an N-word incident, she had her N-word incident. And, True. She and was early on the N-word was, incidents. Yes. <laughs> an early adapter, yeah. uh, you would call her. Um, and just vicious to her friends and, you know, things that, of course, sound so silly to talk about today. But, you know. Yeah, the Kardashians are much better at convincing me that they're real, relatable people. Which right. I think is part of the charm of that show. Completely. Which every time, anytime my wife is watching it, which she doesn't watch it that often, but I'm, I always kind of... I'll watch 50 minutes and go, Kim, right. seems like a nice person. She's, and then you go, oh, no, there's no, she, no, there's 19 right. cameras on her. So, like, totally. there's no way to know. But I think, you know, the, the enduring theme of the Kardashians that works so well is like, it's it's essentially a family show. It's right. A, right. And they all look out for each other yes. and they they yeah. remind people of their own right. weird families. And, and even, you know, the, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there were the pictures of Kanye, like fat Kanye, who, who looks like he put on some weight, right? Yep. And I thought like, and I was just reading the commentary around that and it was so different than i mean we we do evolve as human beings right people did the whole fat shaming thing that came out yes yeah and then all but also like people were saying like you know kanye clearly has had some mental health struggles some of some mental health medication can make you put on weight and you know there was this whole level of kind of understanding around it which it was so unusual and but the (laughs) mid-2000s didn't have that kind of understanding did not happen i mean and then think uh then it made that i but to underscore sort of the, like, w- some of the reasons why the Kardashians persist, it made me think Kim is, Kim standing by a probably, at times, profoundly mentally ill husband, right? And, like, so there are things that I think that they've been able to, you know, and not always contrivance, that they've been able to uh, yeah. demonstrate themes that people relate to that kind of reveal a goodness that makes people like them. Right. I mean, whatever. Forget like the Pepsi ad and like they do, you know, like butt selfies or whatever they do. Like that's I mean, that's just a that's almost like a generational cultural thing. We, you know, that we're, a lot of people butt are selfies. Going to butt selfies. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I do think social media kind of killed Us Weekly. Not that Us Weekly is dead, but there's no question like the accessibility of Instagram and well, Twitter and being able to just sure. I mean, get pictures whenever you want from any celebrity right, you like versus right. relying on Us Weekly. Well, like Just Like Us, like I'll show you my Just Like Us. I'm yeah. not, you know, not going to rely on a third party to do that for like me. Like you right? could see last night, I, you know, all these celebrities now, they tweet Halloween pictures yes. of themselves and their kids. Right. 
the NBA players are even doing. Like the NBA players have all learned from the real celebrities, and now right. they've cultivated their own celebrity. Right. And you know, ten years ago, that's a whole us oh weekly section of there Halloween pictures. There would have been a photo pictures. editor calling around yeah. trying to get photos of Halloween costumes, right? And so, um, yeah, it killed it. I mean, so it's so. What is I think when you think about printed printed publications anymore and why they even exist? There is, you know, and even to some degree, why editors like I, I always. You know, wonder if how much people actually care about or know about editors. But that whole idea that there was this, you know, at one point an 80 page thing that people got every week and they would sit there and enjoy whatever that creation was because it was very heavily curated, right? Yeah. Does that experience, can that experience still exist? Is it actually more valuable in the internet economy where like it's just like this fire hose of, you know, 90% garbage all day, right? And so, um, uh, or do people read more because they're always reading their iPhone, their iPad? Right. I mean, do they're you, constantly going through stuff. I don't read as much as I used to. You don't? No. Yeah. Because I, I always feel like I'm always reading. Right. I'm always reading the internet. Right. You're all, yes, you're always reading like 300 words at a time. Right? It wasn't like, hey, I'll grab a magazine and kick back for a yes. half hour. I, I do that less than I used to. Right. Not even on a plane anymore, right? Like, no. I think it, I'll we, read my iPad. I'll right. go hook up to the terrible go go Wi Fi. Yeah. It'll log off 40 <laughs> times on me. <laughs> I'll be half reading a story and I'll stop. And the flight attendant will tell you she's resetting yeah. it. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Are you sure it's, it's not your iPad? No, I know it's on my iPad. Nobody's on their iPad right Um no, but I think, you know, I don't think a magazine will resonate like that anymore. I think an yeah, internet yeah. site could. I don't. I don't think a magazine right, could. Right. It's just. Um. It. It almost seems. You know. And it makes. You know. Of course, I feel slightly sad about that. It de- there's definitely like a. I mean, it's like a, a passing of time, right? It's like, yeah. you know, how long do we hold on to that eight-track player? Oh, you know, that's kind of cool. And you know, and then you see, you know, with like the turntables, there's maybe a slight resurgence of vinyl. There's a coolness to that. Cause, and so maybe in five years, I mean, it's all happened so quickly. Maybe in five years it comes to that. But, hmm. you know, the economics of Us Weekly at the time, you think about the state of publishing today. lucrative. Oh, my God. It was so insane. Like, it was, it's, and so you realize why then all these sort of, all these imitator, imitator weeklies came along also the so it was um i love how you said that derisively because that's also how i felt yeah right star magazine would suck me in every once in a while because they would was, have good covers yeah, sometimes it was and it was so like, the other ones are like yeah, really but i think with star sometimes and even with like inquire today even though like all the trump of honest uh milani stuff is so crazy that they do the pro stuff but the um um, but if you like, sometimes with like those star inquirer titles, it's like, if you're going to go there, go there. And it's, you know, and it's so yeah. preposterously funny. Right. Yeah. And, um, uh, you yeah, know, cause the, the, the crazier they get, then you get into like Brad Pitt considering a sex change. Like, <laughs> come on. No, it's not. <laughs> Wait, but let me just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at one thing like aliens found in Brad Pitt's house. Right. 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 So um, how much, did, what was the most you ever paid for a photograph when you were wow. at weekly? I mean, I think they were probably. <laughs> they were, I, you know, I'm sure everyone remembers where they were, haha, when they saw the Brad Angelina photos together in Kenya on the beach. Uh, yeah, and when when it was, like, they thought like, they were so safe in Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, and it was the confirmation they were together. And yeah, um, and so I, I believe the price Us Weekly paid. And I always had to go to Jan Wenner, who was the owner of Us Weekly. I wanted to talk about him. Oh, yeah, we can oh, talk yeah. about Jan. And and so you know, Jan. And so Jan had to say, you know. Okay, and so we bought them, and they were 
$500,000. Oh, um, and you made that money back oh, in like, in like three yeah. hours. And the, and the, the funny thing about those photos. when So wait, some Kenyan dude was just walking no, the beach? Okay. See, this is why nothing is ever as it seems. Okay. You know, we were pretty sure that if you're trying, if you're trying to have your first public outing as a couple and you know, all the scandal is swirling around you, like it's, that might be one of the ways you set it up, right? Ooh. You might be, you might want to do it with kids in tow, right? Yeah. I think they had, they had. That's this, how like, I would do it. Yes. You, <laughs> Lots of kids. <laughs> right. Adopted children. We've taken a whole first grade, first grade class out of yes. fatherless orphans. <laughs> and, oh, wait, there's a photographer here. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, you know, there, there, some might suspect that that was, that there was some arrangement made mm. where, you know, it's not like there was, you know, uh, a whole paparazzi agency that just happened to be, you know, on a boat in, you know, off the African coast ready to go. Doubtful. So, yeah, doubtful. But we don't know that for sure. But anyway, that that is how some of that some of the sausage gets made, right? How you sort of and like it wasn't like they were they had to tell the world somehow and come out at some point, And that was one way to do it. So did you always have to get permission from Jan Wenner or just for the biggies? Um like anything over 50 grand, yeah, you had to at least yes. send him an email? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jan, with, Jan wanted to be involved and at times wasn't involved at all. But for, you know, Jan, Jan is, you know, when you work for these people, when you work for someone who is a single owner, right? And I mean, he owned it with his wife, Jane. Yeah. Uh, but, the, uh, you know, this is money. Big winner in the book, Jane. <laughs> I'm like 130 pages in. She's been the big winner so far. I haven't gotten all the crazy stuff yet. <laughs> well, Jane, Jane, um, Jane, like, Jane sounds kind of awesome in the, in with 130 pages in, right? Okay, like, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, 130 yeah. pages in, she's, she's been a winner. Yeah, she's, she's, uh, they describe her as sort of unbelievably beautiful, yeah. right? And stunning. Stunning. Like, like, and kind of, you know. Enchanting. Enchanting. <laughs> More cultured than Jan. Yeah. Oh, and, such yeah, a catch. <laughs> so, um, so, so. They, but when you work for single owners like that, um, and you know he's not running a, you know, a Time Inc. or it's a conglomerate. It's like money in, out, money out of your pockets. All so it's all you know. It, and you know, Jan counted his pennies as as he should. That's his business. So yes. So that. But you it, had the irony though of, you know, he makes his fortune and fame and everything off Rolling Stone, which in the seventies was the magazine, right? And then in the eighties. Still doing really well, starting to fade a little, yeah. 90s, and by the 2000s had lost some of its relevance. And all of a sudden, Us Weekly, which he also owns right. and is over here, has suddenly eclipsed everything else he owns. Completely. And becomes this giant entity right. for him. And it was, yeah, know, it, that must have been weird for him. I think it was really weird for him. Uh, I, you know, Jan, but Jan likes money, right? And he, I think when you, when you were just, when you look at the balance sheet of what's, what's supporting what in that organization, right. I, the power became pretty clear. Not that, not that Us Weekly ever dominated Rolling Stone in his mind, but it, I would say, created equal mindshare. And one of the things that Jan, if you worked at Rolling Stone at the time, it is all Jan. And you know what? There was always this moment in the office when Jan was coming back from Sun Valley where he would go skiing and yeah. he'd take his private plane and go skiing and he had to go for various durations of time and he would come back. It's hard to believe he lost touch with pop culture a little bit when he was doing stuff like that. I mean, I, who would have thought? Shocking. Who would have thought? And so, um, and so, you know, then the people would say, oh, 
shit, Jan's coming back today. And that, it meant that Rolling Stone was about to get torn up. That story yeah. you were working on for three months. Pink Floyd's going on the cover. Right, exactly. They have Bye-bye. a new album. Right, right. You totally. Like, Bob Dylan, again. You Bob know, Dylan. It, like, Mick it's, Jagger's doing something. <laughs> no, totally. And so, so he, like, that was, like, all his, like, that was his... It, you know, his is super ego. Like every, every aspect of Jan was projected onto Rolling Stone and, yeah. um, uh, and us weekly for better and worse. For, yes, exactly. Guy's yeah. a genius, the but guy, yes, I think it's, it's really tough to run a magazine like that once you hit a certain age. Cause unless you're around young people all the time, right. Young, this is one thing I found at Grantland and the ringer too. It's like young people know where stuff's going. If yes. you're not around young people, then you're going to think like the Pink Floyd cover is right. a good idea. Right. And it's right. not. Well, you know, I think it's also, um, you know, Jan and I got along incredibly well, which I don't think has always been the case with his editors. Um, <laughs> That's very generous. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think he also likes, he did not, and maybe he had a different relationship with males at the top. Like he, like you, I, I, I you know, it is a belief that all the males around him had to, um, acquiesce to his opinion and, and desire so that becomes off you know hard yeah. too i'm sure you want someone people in this room to tell you you're wrong and like to talk about it right no and- i don't like when anyone tells me <laughs> i'm wrong <laughs> no you have to you, you yeah. have to, if people around you can't tell you something's a bad idea then well we would always have this in bad shape there was a repetitive conversation jan and i would have about us weekly where he would say and where he would say you know like so remember this is mid 2000s mid 2005 yeah. 6 and so he would say you know uh, you know you know what i really think us weekly needs you need to show more pictures of michael douglas danny devito and robin williams and then i would say okay and then you know and then you i just not do it <laughs> yeah, so, but then but then it would come up again yeah. and occasionally there then maybe some people remember there was occasionally a picture of danny devito or like you would sort of you know dole it out just take to, it out of the garbage yeah. <laughs> Yes. And, and then, then, then you would sort of buy some time around that conversation. But I think for Jan, he, um, he, you know, he really relished that moment in time when he was, uh, at the epicenter of pop culture and he kind of became and a tastemaker tastemaker. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the amazing things that Joe Hagen's book, Sticky Finger says, is he said from, I think from 1971 to 1977, Jan was the most powerful editor in America. Yep. And, you know, you think about that now and I That's bet a long time too. It's, it's a very long seven time. years is. Yep. And I bet half your staff might not even know who Jan is today. Right. I mean, yeah. it's I, that, that, or they might know him from his three second, almost famous cameo. Right. In the limo. <laughs> I love when Cameron Crowe would just throw Jan Winter in his movies. Right, He's in right? Jerry Maguire. Yes. He never has a line. He's just always kind of uh, right. lurking for three or, seconds. Or John Travolta, Perfect. Do you remember? Right. He was, yeah. Another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he had lines in Perfect, though. Did he? Yeah. Okay. That is a terrible <laughs> movie. Um, so, I, I, so I think there are certain people who get stuck, and not through any fault of anyone's, but in the, in the contemporary, in the, in, the, in the contemporary past where they felt most sort of at home, right? Well, the biggest issue, magazines, Sports Illustrated had the same thing where people trying to protect the way it worked in the past because that was the model that worked for the them instead of, of being like, we got to move. Yep. They're like, no, 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 we got to mm-hmm. keep it this way. And that's when you really get in trouble. And well, I th- it's know, the story of every failed media venture, basically. Every, like to, to think to think that the past defines who you are is, and I, you know, I think ESPN's I, in that spot right now. Completely. Trying to keep Sports Center and all these things that worked. And it's, Got to right. move forward, right? And I, I think they don't know what the way forward is, and I'm not right. sure. I'm not sure a ton there of people do. There might not be a do, way forward. I mean, I could tell you, like you know, the Jameel Hill thing is probably not the way forward. It's like, no. I mean, I, you know, to me, and just I don't. I'm not. 
and I'm not a huge sports person. I don't watch sports religiously. Um, and just as an outsider who sort of sees how it's being represented, that was like, what the yeah. fuck is that? Like, oh my God, you just like, what are you doing to this woman? Like, right. and like you, the sports cat, sports people shouldn't have opinions. They should just have opinions about things, balls being moved around. And, and these it, were all conversations I used to have with I, them I'm when I worked sure. there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we can be human beings too. Right. It's not, it's, it doesn't reflect on ESPN. It's weird. It's also so um, anathema to, I feel like what people want today, which is they want a feeling of uh, authenticity from personalities, right? right. That they, That's why I wrote about Jamal three weeks ago. And that was right. my point is the authenticity is more important than it's ever been. Right. And if you're asking people that work for you and represent you not to be authentic, you're in rough right. shape. But also like, I mean, forget all of that. The, the optics of it, it, it yeah, was the wrong, optics. but like, oh my God, you have an African-American female sports. Right. This captain. is why you're paying her. Oh my God. Like what? Like, don't do, don't do it to, don't do it to her. Yeah. Right? Like you're going to get we need slaughtered. Her. Yeah. And like, and also like, was she really wrong? I mean, like, yeah. it, I mean, like the whole, everything about it was so tone deaf. And I think, but I think that's what happens in large corporations too, right? Like safety is you, like you always revert to safety, right? That is, that is like, it, you know, I think one of the failures in leadership you see all the time is um, uh, the safest way to never get in trouble, whether it's green lighting a show or green lighting a story or whatever, is to not make a decision, right? And, yeah. And that I think people, you know, paralysis is, is easier than risk. Well, almost. the more people you have running a corporation, right. the longer the paralysis goes before the decision happens because yes. you got to get everybody. Right. Oh, we got to call Bob. Well, Bob's skiing in Colorado. Right. He's right. not off the mountain yet. Right. And you're three hours past. Right. But then also the thing, what will Bob think? What will Bob say? And yeah. usually people don't get it right. Right. They usually don't actually accurately know what someone's going to say. And like, I remember there were all these, I mean, on a much smaller level at us, at a Hollywood Reporter and Billboard, like these crazy things would come back to me. Like, you know, we heard you hate the color pink and no one should ever wear pink. I'm like, I've never said that in my life. And, and I, I, so I think the way that these things get communicated through organizations can have, and this was a small organization can have, you know, this, this sort of chilling effect on everything. Right. So then, so then I'm sure you have all these people on ESPN now who are like, Oh my God, I, I shouldn't even comment on that player's hair because what if it's racially insensitive and yeah. I just want to say that I like his hair today and oh, like freezing. The, so, yeah. And so then it creates this like lack of, um, expression from the people on air who, and that's exactly what you want, right? You want like expressive people to sort of get you excited and thinking about the game. And I think this whole notion also that sports is, are just sports. I mean, it's like, like. It's, it doesn't, it, that it doesn't can't exist. fly anymore. Nothing is what it is anymore. Hollywood is not about Hollywood, right? right. And, um, Especially this month. No, oh my God. Jesus. Um, quick break to talk about Bluehost, a top rated website provider powering over 2 million websites for bloggers or small business owners. Bluehost has everything you need to build, host, and manage the personal or small business website you've always wanted. Design your website your way without being limited by templates. Simple enough for beginners, powerful enough for even the most advanced users. Fully customized templates, third-party app support, a 99.9% .9 uptime guarantee, maximum security, including malware monitoring and protection, and automatic secure WordPress installs. Not to mention Bluehost 24-7 tech support, online resources, expert services. No wonder it's been the top recommended WordPress host on WordPress.org since 2005. Bluehost makes hosting your website stress-free. So now you can get back to what matters most 
reading The Hollywood Reporter. And now, our listeners save 50% when you sign up at bluehost.com slash Bill Simmons. Once again, that is bluehost.com slash Bill Simmons. Back to Janice. Yeah, with Jan. <laughs> Last Jan question. Yeah, you can ask me more Jan questions. I don't care. You found out there was a book coming. What was your reaction? <laughs> well, so I know Joe Hagen a little bit. And he is like, he is a, vicious is not the right word, but he is an uh, uncorruptible reporter. Like Honest he, and unmerciful? Unmer- like Lester Banks and yes. the most famous? I mean, he, Second I mean, almost famous yes. reference. I mean, he yeah. is well done. He is, um, he is, you just and I remember one of the last stories he did before he started working on this book was a story I think he did for New York Magazine about NBC when they had fired Ann Curry, and yeah. it was like, <laughs> it was so like raw and like took, I remember that yeah, story. It was so good. That was rough. It was rough. Made me feel bad for Ann Curry. Made me feel yes. bad for everybody. Um, right. But it made you feel that Joe Pagan was a really good reporter. Yeah, he is. Right? And That's so, why I was good. Yeah. And so, so Joe, this is to me, it was like a classic Yawn thing. Like Yawn. It's probably flattered by Joe's attention. They're neighbors. They live. I mean, the awkwardness of. <laughs> but then they had the falling neighbors. out, which yes. we're not sure if it was orchestrated or not. To I sell don't the think book. it was. Or- I, I it worked, but I don't think it. I don't think it or- was orchestrated. Like Jan, like I knew the second I knew Joe. The second I knew Joe Hagen was doing Jan's book, you I, were like, I, like I'm you're like, you know, popcorn. yeah, totally. Like this is gonna end badly, but like this is you know, this but be boy, great it'll be it'll be good. And like Joe, uh, Joe just killed it he got like everybody to talk phenomenal reporting and i think it's sort of the you know i think david geffen said about biographies and because he said like you know you once you give it up to someone like you know you have to accept the consequences but i do believe and i said this to joe the other day i said now that the book's been so well received jan will come around to liking it and liking you but again, like he just he will, he'll want to own that. Part well, between of, that and the doc, he's going to have this moment right. of re relevancy. Well, and I think you see that this. I think with will a, help him. You see this with a lot of guys, largely guys in their seventies in Hollywood. Like they they're trying to set their legacy, right? And you want you, like Steven Spielberg had that had that uh, HBO. Documentary, Informed. yeah. Oh, <laughs> Docu- <laughs> sorry, documentary. Um, that was a documentary. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but that is, but that's the same thing. Like, okay, who's going to tell my story? And it's you know the Hamilton line, right? Like, yeah. uh, like uh, who lives, who dies, who tells your story? And so he is like these guys want that and they need that, right? Or else, like it's your last, it's your last grasp of greatness. And I think that if you're Jan. This is, you know what you don't want your legacy to be? Like, I whiffed on selling Us Weekly for $750 million to Hearst. I, yeah. you know, uh, I was engulfed by a UVA rape story that was fake. And and so, like, legacy setting. The legacy problem setting. is giving up the action, though. Because I think, and you see this in good ways and bad ways, because I, I look at someone like Jan, you look at, like, Lorne Michaels. Right. You look at, like, Graydon, who was right. just on my podcast a couple weeks ago. Like, right. you give up that Vanity Fair editor-in-chief job. You're not just giving up the job. You're giving up this power the that you have. Thing. You're giving up, you run the Oscars party right. and all these things. And right. for a lot of people, they don't want to give up the action. I'm sure right. Jan was like, if I sell this for 700 million, yes. now what do I do? Well, of I'm course, just skiing? I, I, I jumped to the end of the book. And so I, I yeah. read that part. And oh, that's, I, I, that, don't, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what he says. I mean, he said, he said, and if, for Jan, like, you know, Jan is a little bit, like Donald Trump and that he's never wrong ever. And, and he said this quote in the book that was really revealing where he said, you know, yeah, there's a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda, um, right. but it is what it is. Right. And I, I have to live with what that decision was. Um, and that's 
like that's, but that's a, you know, that's a difference between, um, you know, retiring with, you know, I guess it would have been after the Disney investment. Uh, it's really hard to, it's athletes are in the same boat. Right. They never know when it's time for them to wrap it up. You right. Know? Right. I'm sure Michael Jordan in retrospect probably right. wished he'd gone out in 98. Right. Right. But you know, no one, no one ever. You didn't get that reference. I, I, I kind of got it. Kind of. Like, I don't he know, made the shot in the finals. Yes. But then he came back and played for the Wizards. Right. Well, he also did baseball. And he, that, he did that too. Yeah, he did a lot of. <laughs> Michael Jordan did a lot of things. Um, this is I, good. See, you're, I, you, I, you yeah, got your sports. I'm making it right. This okay, is good. Yeah. Okay. Um, the uh, but I think knowing when to exit, and because nobody, it's one of these sad realizations. Like nobody exits gracefully at the end, right? It's like who really gets to exit gracefully? I think Trump has a chance. <laughs> I still, I still have hope. I think <laughs> yeah, it's, he's 74, 75. Yeah, I think right. he's going to start hitting his stride. Yeah, like year the seven. The older he gets, yeah. I think he's going to get better. Yeah, I know it doesn't make sense, but I just that's how I feel. He's going to be great. It's a good prediction. A couple of years, got to get his feet wet in that job. He'll be good. Um, get the but, right people around him. Well, you know, I think that you see with, um, I mean, everything, everything today's a conversation about men and women, but I think, um, I think men cannot, like, like that power is so much of your identity as a male, right? Yeah. And, you know, the ability to shit on people who don't have power is part of the identity and, you know, the ability of people, you know, it's, 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 it's like, in well, it's also how they, you talk about people like over 65, right. they just grow up a certain way. And right. at some point people just become who they are right. and the way right. that they were used to doing things, right? they don't. Right. They don't understand that. No, no, no. Things right. are a little different now. Right. They just right. don't see it. You no, know, you, they don't see it. And there, I think there's certain, um, I mean, I think, you know, it was interesting when uh, you saw that with Donna Karen with her stupid comments she made after the Harvey Weinstein scandal came out about, you know, well, how are the women dressed? Um, and, I, you know, the... <laughs> right. <It's>, right. <laughs> that's like a classic old person comment. Totally. And, you know... Uh, Somebody would say that at the Thanksgiving table, like right. your 78-year-old right. aunt would right. make that comment. Well, in fact, <laughs> as a relative who is in her 70s, you know, one of the things that she replied when an email was sent around to different family members about Weinstein, like how she, the response was, how desperate would these women have to be for attention? I mean, you know, and so it's... Okay, so we're never going to reach consensus on, on yeah. this particular issue. But, you know, that's why you see, that's why you see, I thought it was no coincidence that you had the two people who broke the story at the New York Times were two women, right? And um, who were, I think, like early 40s or late 30s. Yeah. Um, and then the other person at the New Yorker is Ronan Barrow, who is, you know, he's like an annoying child prodigy who's like, you know, 28 or whatever. But he, and, you know, went to Yale Law School. But he... um personal experience but yeah i mean this is someone this who you know family who, yeah, yeah who has been trying to write that wrong in various ways and this is one way to write that wrong is to go after this story and it's one reason why actresses could trusted him right because he wrote about woody allen and his sister yep. in a way that they related to um so uh, anyway so that you know these stories aren't getting broken you know i mean if you're well now it's like every day you feel like day. there's I mean, like I mean, the, I we don't have to name the list of thirty people that we've all kind of thought. Oh, uh, I wonder right. if that person's next. Yeah, but kind of a perv. It's yeah, yeah it's <laughs> starting to come. You know, right today. But, today, as we're taping this, like Brent Ratner, had right? I mean, six I, people come out, yeah, and like, it's did, like wasn't. Uh, did anyone fall out of their chair? This no, morning? I wasn't like keeling over no, in disbelief. No, but okay, but then there are other ones like the NPR guy, Michael Oreskes. Right. 
Yeah, those like, are, yeah, those. I'm like, oh my God, it's engulfed NPR now. Like, right. <laughs> right? It's, and it's not going to stop. It's, it's, no, it's it hasn't not even stop. gone into sports yet. It hasn't, oh you know, God. it's going to go in all these sports, different industries. Silicon Valley, right? It's, Silicon Valley and sports, I think, are the two right. next things. Like really bad, right? Wait, go back to uh, 2009. So yes. you leave Us Weekly mm-hmm. at... You're leaving like the 1927 Yankees, basically. Yeah. So I, you know, so it was one of these like every, you're leaving friends in year six. Totally. So every, like every contract with Yon was always like this agonizing process, and so it was. I think that like, I think that you kind of have to know when to leave, right? It's. I just felt like I would say the last contract I did was probably. I knew why I was doing it. I just like, it was just going to be one more and then I was going to be out. Like, do you think like for CEOs and editor in chief, stuff like that, like seven years is a good length. I I I kind of feel like it is. I feel like that's like a magic number, right? At some point you're just going to be repeating the same ideas you already had. And right. You know, there's going to be a freshness that just kind of goes right there. There is. And I, I think every organization benefits from like, a reset, right? Well, sometimes they don't benefit. Sometimes they actually get worse. But like, but most organizations could, you know, an event. But they will right size themselves usually in some way down the road. But I think that Bob Iger said that in the Disney book because he was talking about how Eisner had basically stayed too long, and yep. he's like, the thing I learned is CEO has, and he was very candid about that. CEO should move. CEO shouldn't be there too long. Except and now he's still there. <laughs> He said all of it. It's like he stayed five years longer than he said he was going to stay, it's which hard. is hilarious. It's anyway, hard to give up. I interrupted the seat. him. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's you're amazing. the man, and like he became not just the man, like but the man, right? right. I mean, it's like it's you know he's done an incredible job. Um, uh, so yeah, so then so then the second I did, I sort of reluctantly. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I wasn't going to do a good good job or I wasn't enthusiastic about it. But I did the last contract, and you know it paid ridiculously well. And um, you know, then I we talked about the economics of Us Weekly, so so phenomenally profitable. But you have time. two small kids. So, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was sort of like, okay, I'll do this again. And actually, it was so funny. One of the jobs that I had been offered at that time before that contract, I renewed that contract, was to work at Yahoo. Which that was a that was a dodge. Oh, like, <laughs> right? jeez. Can you imagine? So, um, so. So I did it, and then you know, Jan and I, and oh my God! So remember everything. Like the world is flush with cash. It's two thousand. It's two thousand seven. Jan takes out a three hundred million dollar loan to buy back his fifty percent stake of Us Weekly from Disney, and this was a deal that had gone back to Michael Eisner when Michael Eisner had given yeah. him money to keep it alive. And so Michael- this was almost like all. E- the ego of it really bothered him that he had sold half totally. of it. Totally. You know, like so it. for Jan, I'm sure he's thinking, all I'm doing is giving away 50% of my profits. That's all, like, it's driving yeah. me insane. And so, you know, I think Us Week, uh, I think Disney had invested $20 million in Us Weekly and got back $300 million. Wow. I mean, so, um, you know, a great return. Um, and Plus all the profit year by year yes, that owning it. Totally, yeah. right? That's and one so, of the better deals. I mean, the last, maybe the last time anyone made money in a print publication, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, then 2007, you know, he's happy, delighted. Like I get signed to this great contract for the last for the last two years, and then and then 2008, boom, and you know the the market collapses, and you know and there goes everything, right? Yeah. There goes there goes his 750 million dollar offer from Hearst to buy them to buy Us Weekly. Um, the, you know, every advertiser is paralyzed with fear. Um, there's not enough discretionary income to buy newsstand publications, um, and 
And that began his, you know, this, which has led to today, this excruciating process of trying to get out from underwater of what he owed. You know, it's like owning a house where the, the you know, the mortgage, mortgage exceeds the value of the home. It's, right. That's what he has been, con- you know, contending with for the past decade at this point. Um, so, hmm. um, so anyway, it was, and I also, I also, I talked a lot about it with, with people at the time when I was leaving that. I feel like the screw is turning. This whole, this whole, like, you know, bacchanal of celebrity is done. Like, it's, it's just there's, there's. You saw it coming. Yeah. And you didn't even really know about Instagram and all the things no, that were going to finish it. Happen, I could just feel like I always use this analogy. Like, you can only go to the dessert buffet so many times. Like, it, and there was sort of like it was, and some of it was like I didn't like I. I feel like I marginally, there were times I marginally cared about any of this stuff at all, even when I was there. And, um, and it was getting harder to care about, you know, Jessica Simpson. <laughs> 25 things you didn't know about Nick Lachey. Uh, yeah, it was good. And then, and then that's also where you saw, and I, I'm sure your wife maybe has noticed some of this, like these reality stars where you're like, who, yeah. what, like who cares? Um, the teen, for me, the death of Us Weekly in my house was Teen Mom, which oh was my my, mom, my wife's least favorite right. cultural thing that's happened oh, well, in the last 15 a, years. She hates Teen Mom more than anything. There's just so much ickiness around everything yeah. about that. Uh, I'm, I'm an idiot who had a kid too soon. Right. Here's my reality show. Yeah, Like exactly. what the, uh, I exactly. hate Teen Mom so right. much. But they're not glamorizing no. teen pregnancies. Oh, no, not MTV. at all. Right. This is, we're not glamorizing at all, but oh. you're a celebrity now. Right. What and, the hell is right. that? And we're paying you Five hundred dollars an outrageous. episode to exploit I hate your Teen life. Mom so much. I mean, that is that still on air? Yeah. Oh, my oh yeah. God. Oh, so they even have like London Teen Mom. <laughs> They've moved to other countries to find Teen Moms with accents. <laughs> so stupid. Oh my god! No, it's it's grotesque. So, so you took a couple years off, then you went to Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. So so there was a guy who. Um, so my husband and I had this plan. We lived in Manhattan. We lived on Lafayette Street, and we had these two small kids. And it's you know, uh, it is. It was. I just found it increasingly difficult to live in Manhattan, as did my husband. And yeah. so we're like, okay, let's move. Let's like we can just go anywhere we want. So we we decided we were going to move to Marin County, um, outside of San Francisco. Even like bid on a house, and because it was the you know the, because the real estate downturn lasted like two seconds in certain markets. You know, we, we got outbid on the house. Mm-hmm. But right around when we were getting outbid on the house, I get this call from Richard Beckman, who had worked at Condé Nast and had been hired as the CEO of this company. And they had acquired these, you know, dumpy little assets. Um, and uh, and so Richard Beckman, um, and there was, you know, since we all learn everything important in page six, Richard Beckman had seen in page six that my apartment had sold and I was moving to, and the page six was wrong. And said I was moving to Los Angeles and not to oh. San Francisco. So, um, and so then Richard Beckman, there was a day where Richard Beckman's frantically trying to find me and talk to me. And, you know, and I'm, and the, you know, and, and he called, so we talk on the phone and he said, and he said, do you want to talk about the Hollywood Reporter? And I said, you know, no, that doesn't mean like, it's what it's like, what is it? It's like nothing. I've never even looked at it in my life. It's a bunch of like, it's just one of those. It's like poor man's variety, basically. Like, yeah. Which yeah. is, yeah. Which is saying and variety was lot. like, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. Studios and right. executives got variety. And, that was um, and so then he said, no, no, trust me, let's meet. And so I met him at, um, the Bowery Hotel you know, at the restaurant there. And, um, we had breakfast and he just said, so, and he's, you know, very, he's a, he, like we, you can jokingly, we jokingly sometimes call him Barnum Bailey and Beckman. He's like a total showman. Right. And, um, and British accent. And he's like, you know, you can do, you know, you'd be brilliant. You could do anything you want. And I want it to be, you know, a hybrid of the economist and 
Wait, The Economist and The some, Economist. Yeah, I know. I like I he kind of lost me there. But The Economist and something else. I can't remember. But he had this whole vision and he's and but basically it was clear I could do anything I wanted. And that it, he said all I want to do is I want to get rid of this. It was a daily paper then. And um I didn't remember that. Yeah, uh, nobody. That's how little I read it. Yeah, it yeah. didn't matter to you. And um and it was a daily trade paper and um and so he he wanted to redo the like redo the website and redo the publication. And the um, website it, was nothing. Not, I mean, yeah. it, it had okay, so it had a it had eight hundred thousand visitors a month. It couldn't even be registered on Comscore, which is oh what everyone. Yeah, it was it was sad capital S. Um, so. So then anyway, I thought about it and the, he, he had this idea of doing a weekly magazine wanting to attract luxury advertisers. Um, and so, you know, so it was, anyway, it was this long process. So I would say four months later and I had to think about it. I had to think what I would do. I had to think if we would actually move to Los Angeles because, you know, the Los Angeles my husband knew was like Paris Hilton land. I remember I had just come from right. Us Weekly. It was like the most repulsive, you know, You didn't know it was about to become the coolest city in America. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But it was, it was at that point, especially as, you know, you know, from East Coast bias, like. Oh, yeah. People think LA is filled with like illiterates and degenerates and you know uh, yeah. I mean the worst part of America. Um, so so anyway, push comes to shove and we, you know we all decide I will do this and so we move out here and then it was then it just happened really quickly. It was like the craziest you know I had to learn you know I knew LA but I had to really learn LA. I had to learn this crazy movie industry and t- TV industry and. Um, I have the first person I hire is Kim Masters. We never even meet. I'm, you know, a mutual friend vouches for me. I, I vouched for her. We, we, I hired her over the phone and then like off we went and I moved out here. I knew you knew what you were doing when you hired Tim Goodman. Oh, Tim Goodman. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, they're, oh they're, they're actually, this could be a real thing. Yeah, this Tim, magazine. Tim Goodman had like, <laughs> he'll tell this story where I call him and unrecomm- you know, he was recommended by a bunch of people. He has no idea who I am. And he's like, so rude to me when I call and I'm like, yeah. okay, so do you want to think about it? And he wasn't rude really, but he just didn't, he was confused. Yeah. And I said, do you want to think about it? He's like, okay. And then he calls me back like 30 minutes later. He's like, oh, Okay, like let's talk. And he yeah. got super excited. And um, uh, well, I remember when I heard you took over, and I didn't really know what a Hollywood Reporter was. I was like, so is it going to be like celebrity? Yeah, celebrity pictures, right. and are they right. going mean, like, to logical... compete with Us Weekly? Right, that would be the logical. Conclusion, yeah, I didn't right? expect the journalism. I, right. Basically, everything you did, I did not right. expect. Right, right, and I think I mean I think that's one of the things people very you know very much define people. Like we're all limited in how we judge people, right? You define people by the last thing they did, right? And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. And you know, so like you could, you know, you could end up maybe one day you're a, you know, a cancer researcher, but like we would never think that because you I'm not a nice enough person to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an only child. <laughs> um, but you know, people. Yeah, so uh, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I you think just never know. You never know. And so it was. Oh my God! It was like this. You know, and you really realize it's a real test of how thick-skinned you are as a human being right like everyone was like for starters this was like about the you know 200th relaunch of the hollywood report yeah. right and so you know the 199 times before it sucked and so why would the 200th time be any better um and so like so much negative press and remember this was nikki fink era in hollywood and so oh yeah you know and, and well, it like, seemed like hollywood coverage was just drifting toward anonymous message oh board posts right? and nikki fink and Th- that kind of world and that was sort of one of the conceits i had about reconceiving the Hollywood reporter was like Hollywood has become so and I feel like Hollywood didn't know this and I I think as an outsider I could see it that Hollywood had become so 
big in the outside world that like this and it wasn't just celebrities it was moving beyond celebrities it was the stories of the stories and and i thought of you know the few examples that were pretty obvious that then were you know remember when the conan zucker jay leno story was happening and that had like this basically behind the scenes negotiation story became but the thing is though that was there for a while because like the bill carter books yes were the blueprint for hey this could be a magazine that works vanity fair would do it every once in a while Right, but yeah, that, would, I was always fascinated by right, all the that best stuff. stories. Were about behind, were about the stories behind the stories here, yeah. right? And then also, you know, Entourage, of course, like uh, the, we sort of peeled off some of. But the, even like how Miramax became yes. uh, removing all the current harvest stuff right. aside, just like that whole indie world and yep. how movie the movie industry was changing. Right. Nobody was really capturing it week to week. No, and also, you know, it, and I think as an East Coast guy, you understand this too. Like there was sort of this um, attraction repulsion to Hollywood, also, right? That like yeah. there's not a there's not a media person alive who doesn't kind of wish they had like an inn in Hollywood who kind of didn't wish they, you know, could write on a show or, you know, um, have a friend who was a director. And, and so there, there were, so there was definitely all this intrigue around it, but also the feeling that, um, you know, I, I always use this analogy back then, like how come the entire world knows, well, not the entire world, but so many of the media know who like Lloyd Blankfein is at, Goldman Sachs, right? And like yeah. Wall Street became, had broke through and people who may, might not have a penny invested in the stock market. But, you know, nobody, you know, the outside world couldn't tell you who the studio chiefs were. They couldn't tell you who, you know, who are the people who are delivering the content that occupies really all, almost per, all of your time outside of the time you might spend on a job or with yeah. your family. And um, and so that, that was one of the, you know, that was sort of the main premise of it was how do you make Hollywood how do you make Hollywood its best version of itself to the rest of the world? And how do you show, how do you show the world what Hollywood actually is and tell those stories? So that, that was, a, you know, really a base. Like, and how do you be authentic? Right. Because so be I a- think that was the biggest reason the magazine succeeded was right. it felt like the conversations people are actually having. Right. How, like, how are you on it? And I think yeah. that was like, a, you know, that was like an Us Weekly thing too. Like, how are you just on the conversation and not on it or following it, but like leading it, right? But you did one other thing though. What? You, you, you've captured... Rich person culture. Right. Well, you're not, you're not the editor anymore, but right. when, you know, you'd be like, you know, the 30, the 30 oh best places God. celebrities go on, right. on for Christmas and, and it, yes. the four hottest lunch spots right now in right. Hollywood and right. all that stuff. And right. the Hamptons and Malibu, all these places. Right. Well, the and life- you're always there. Here's what's yep. happening in these spots. The, and the lifestyle. So it's, you know, it's a one industry town, even though, you know, people who work in aerospace would tell you that's not the case, but it's a one industry town, <laughs> you know, that were social and um, were social and work all meld into one. Right. Yeah. And, I think unlike, you know, I just moved from New York where um, there was all this shaming over conspicuous consumption, right? That you like, oh my God, like if you go shopping at Saks, you know, which of course is having huge financial problems today, but if you go shopping at Saks, like, can you put it in a plain brown paper bag? I don't want to be seen carrying this down the street. Like this whole, like trying to underplay wealth in LA, the exact opposite. Who like you know? Who cares? Like drive your yellow Maserati. Like yeah. Um, yeah. Let's you know. open another Soho house. Totally, completely. You know, and and no one has any self consciousness about overconsumption or luxury here. And that was a huge opportunity here, right? It's, and really fun to read about. It's it's hilarious, and I think there was a, and I think there was a tonal thing that I was very self conscious of. So you could read those stories both as you know. Um, 
you could read the stories as informative. And, you know, you like, I can't tell you the number of executives who'd be like, oh my God, those 700, I, like the $700 shoes, I bought six pairs of them. Thanks for showing them, you know. Yeah. So, uh, or, you know, I, I upgraded my plane after you did the private plane story. Um, but you could also read it as, <laughs> en- as entertainment, right? And I think, so it was always, there's this very deliberate, non-elitist tone about how those stories were done, right? And I think when you look at women's magazines historically, part of the reason they've struggled and had to recalibrate their tone is that it was always like, you should, you better be, you know, you better like not wear coral lipstick, you know, right. or, you know, you should be, your hem has to be at your knee this season or, you know, um, mid-length or whatever. And I think that to be able to present the lifestyle of LA as its entertainment in itself um, without ever making fun of it, ever making fun of anyone, um, we, we always, all those stories definitely walk the line. Yeah. Good journalism, culture, and then the third piece, lists. <laughs> A good list. Oh my God. 30 the- hottest under 40 executives. Oh and I mean, because everyone is going to click on those and read those. Oh, did, did my boss make the list? You, the 40 best assistants. No, you don't have, you don't even understand the fear. The lobbying. The, the, the like, amount of lobbying I can't even imagine. Oh, I mean, like people's jobs truly depended on yeah. like uh, their boss appearing on a list and like like agents that was another good one. Oh my god the 75 best agents <laughs> <laughs> i mean and everyone's losing their minds oh my god i was only 45th oh my god and, and if let's see like if if caa has 10 agents on the list then you know WB now endeavor you know has to have the same number if not yeah. more and well, janice is just in bed with endeavor t- t- that's the reason they had so many completely everything She's is against being us. gamed right yeah. and um but i I mean, true, like, like, I, I mean, crises and meltdowns over lists. And it's so it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's so smart. It's, <laughs> it's just so good. It's so funny. But I think you that, wanted everyone, everyone in Hollywood to lock into the magazine right. and care about what's right. in it every week. What's right. better than doing right. that? Well, I remember probably one of the breakthrough covers we did early on. Maybe it was um, might have been like the third or fourth cover we did was in 2010. And it was it was Glee. It was about Glee when Glee was like white. hot, yeah. And so. You know, one of the stories we did, um, and it was, no, it wasn't Lacey Rose. Lacey Rose hadn't started yet, but this is why Lacey Lacey Rose started. Good writer. Another good hire. Totally amazing. Um, But we did a story about the business of Glee, how Glee was becoming one of these shows where you could have a concert tour and... um, uh, you know, a Broadway, sh- I don't know if they have a touring show and, you know, all these ancillary products that made it just much more than this, you know, show that you could sell internationally. And so on the cover, we put Ryan Murphy, the creator of Glee, the stars at the time, um, including Leah Michelle. But this was sort of like this, like, breakthrough moment for Hollywood. We put on Dana Walden and... Uh, oh yeah, the executive, Newman, yeah, the executives, and they looked—they were styled. I'm and sure they, looked- they didn't want to do that at all and take credit and be on the <laughs> cover. Must have been no, tough no, to yeah. convince them. No, no exec ever, yeah, yeah. wanted that. No, um, I can't. Yeah. I want, I want the Let cast to get the credit. Yeah, um, I want Ryan to take front, front and center. <laughs> but that was sort of like—I think that's where suddenly this thing clicked in people's minds in town, where they were like, "Wait." I am the star. I'm not just an executive. I can get my credit and I can get my due. And I can also be photographed looking as good as Charlize Theron. Like yeah. I, like I'm going, you know, like, like hot damn, this is like my thing. And, you know, and I think that the access to talent and access to the industry comes through. I, I think this, this whole, 
misconception in the outside world that the celebrities have power in town, that they're the ones who control everything. They don't, right? They're just like, they're just like- If we didn't learn that over the last four weeks. Right? I mean, and so they're just the schmucks trying to get a job. And so the puppet strings are being pulled by these behind the scenes executives. And so the the amount that we could work with executives to get things, the stories we want to get information, then for them to feel like we were going to treat it respectfully and intelligently, and you know they could trust us, that became- like really a huge part of the But you engine. kept doing real journalism, which yes. made it so it didn't seem like you were in the back just, for people. Just, yeah, like that, that was an important thing. Like, like we had to just like stick it to Hollywood like a yeah. lot, right? Because it's, because they, Hollywood deserves it, right? Yeah. And, um, um, but unless you, like, I think once you, then once people smell fear in you, right, you're dead. And uh, there was a story that I think in the second issue we did of, of the print issue of The Hollywood Reporter where we, you know, we were launching the website at the same time. Total chaos. Like everyone's working like 20 hours a day. Um, Kim Masters had done this story about this movie, which I'm sure you recall called Burlesque. That starred Cher and Christina oh, Aguilera. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And so it was. Um, and so, so. Not on cable. Not <laughs> <laughs> All copies have been destroyed. Yeah, exactly. It has been erased. It has yeah. disappeared. Um, so uh, that was a Sony movie, a Sony Pictures movie through this imprint. They had Screen Gems. And so Kim had this story about the debacle of the making of Burlesque. How, like the budget it was over budget. The director was dating the executive at Screen Gems. There was like fist fights and violence and like everyone hated each other. Tears, Christina Aguilera tears. It was like one of these fun classic Hollywood yarns. Yeah. Sony is losing it. Okay. So this is like, I'm the new person. Sony calls, um, Sony calls my boss, Richard Beckman and says like, you need to kill the story. And you know, so Richard Beckman to his credit, he calls me. He's like, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, we're not going to kill it. And, um, and then, you know, they co- they go to the publisher, threaten to pull all the ads, the typical trade stuff that had been, that had worked to the demise that, had, you know, it really eroded the trade business yeah. here in Los Angeles. And so, you know, we ended up standing our ground. I told the, I told the publicist at Sony at the time, I said, I will, you will not be surprised by anything in here. I will walk you through the story. You will have a chance to respond, but it's not going away. And, um, and we ran and it was, you know, people ate it up. It was just like Hollywood candy. And that was it. But after that, like every single moment, every single moment, like with the staff and so much of the existing staff, they were so willing to, um, to kill things for people. I'm like, why are you killing them? What are you doing? For who? For whose yeah. benefit? Like, get out of it? Like, and I said, like, if you're not, like, if you are the person, you need to be the first, you need to the, be, be the person they respect, but also fear that they need to return your call. And if they think you're movable, if they think you are, you know, you can be played, like, that's it. That doesn't make them like you more. That doesn't make them give you things more. And this whole idea that somehow you get things more if you play nice with them. It's not true. It's not how it works. It's like, that's not how life works. They have to fear and respect you. Right. So, um, so that was a big cultural shift. And I, you know, and it made me think, and Kim Masters and I were texting about this yesterday. I think the first, before we relaunched this magazine, there was a story we did on Steve McPherson at ABC and he ran ABC. I know who Steve is. Yes. Yes. So he ran the network then. And there was, he like suddenly was gone Mm. from ABC. Suddenly. Yeah. And, um, and, Kim Masters did a story about him having been investigated for sexual harassment uh, leading up to his sudden resignation. Yes. And 
I mean, the, so like, I think I was probably three weeks into the job at that That's point. That's a story that might've been killed five years before, oh, right? Five minutes before. We'll do you a favor. Yeah. You'll and, get the Desperate Housewives right, next week right. on next week's cover. And the staff was, there was the, the traditional, you know, older staff there was like, oh my God, you can't say that. Don't do that. Like, why would you do that? Like they were like, panicked that we were going to do this story mm. and we got you know the marty singer letter the who, marty singer who you know also yeah. sent out the brett ratner letters today like you'll get sued yeah da, 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 da. and then like and so kim and i were like let's just do it it was true and so we did and like you know that's what and you know if this probably segues a little into harvey weinstein like people were some people were outraged like how do you how like why would you ruin this man's career why would you say this like you know it's not fair you like you don't need to talk about these things and i think that that was a real litmus test to sort of the boundaries of conversation people could handle um it didn't mean that we wouldn't do those that we didn't do those stories again but it was sort of eye-opening to me that um there are things you talk about here and there are things you don't talk about and i think we've seen that there are Lots of things we don't talk about right now. We're taking one more break to talk about DraftKings. Week nine, football season in full swing. Begs the question, how is your fantasy football team doing? Maybe you drafted a dud in the fourth round. Maybe your first round pick is on the shelf with a bum knee. Maybe you're me. You have Dalvin Cook you paid $45 for. And now, uh, now he's not playing this season. The good news, it's not too late to forget the injuries and get back in the winning column with DraftKings. Remember, DraftKings is the destination for one-week fantasy football. No season-long commitments. Pick a contest. Draft a fake team of real players. Be their fake GM. Follow that fake team live. You might win some real money. Do a public contest or a private contest with friends. Do a 50-50 contest where half the teams win cash. Or be like me and do a single-entry league. I enjoy those. I won $200 last week. Go to DraftKings.com and use the code SIMMONS to play for free with your first deposit for your share of over $1 million in total prizes this Sunday. DraftKings, the game. Inside the game, minimum $5 deposit for this weekend. All kinds of good stuff happening. DraftKings.com. Code Simmons. Eligibility restrictions may apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And since we're here, let's talk about a little gambling. Let's keep going. From a gambling standpoint, we're going to remember the 2010s as the decade when live betting took off. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Here's an idea. Go to mybookie.ag. They've been in this business for years. Their reputation is rock solid. They do 50% cash bonuses. So off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. They have the fastest payout. Seriously, just two business days. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go breeze. In-game live betting. Oh, yeah. Imagine doing that for Game 5 of the World Series. Lay down some cash. Try to win big today. Join now. MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Just visit MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code Bill Simmons to activate the offer. You play. You win. You get paid. Back to Janice. You come in that decade and all the streaming stuff's happening too. Right. The, the industry itself is getting much more interesting. Yes. I mean, it's in... It's in TV's in complete chaos. Chaos. Right. Amazon, all these big giant internet right. things are becoming now media brands. Right. They're right. supplanting the traditional right. old brands. Right. Everyone's jockeying for PR, all that stuff. And now on top of it, we have the whole industry 
basically crumbling from crumbling. sexual assault stuff. Right. right. I mean, it's, it's and nobody a, knows when it's going to end. Nobody right. knows who's next. Right. It's a by really, the way, this is not why I, I invited you to come on. Oh, well, that, I was actually, I'd, I'd always wanted to have you on and we, Tommy and I had been talking about who could, and I was like, I've always wanted to have Janice Smith on. You think oh, she'd come on? Thank you. Thank you. And well, then you were, you were ready. I, but here I am. I do feel like we have to talk about it for five we minutes. Do. I don't want to talk about it for 30. But yeah, that's fine. You also, you talked about it on Bill Maher. I thought you were really good about thank it. You. Thank um, you. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, it is for a magazine like Hollywood Reporter, this could be the next two years of the magazine. Well, and but also, what does it mean? Like, what is like, I've, you know, I've thought about this. What does it mean? How does Hollywood move on? Like, so if you're selling this image to the world, like Hollywood is the biggest export of America, right? And yeah. So, uh, so this image you're selling to the world, like, what is it? And how do you do things? How do you... How do you have an awards show? You know, this, you know, you have the Hollywood Film Awards coming up this weekend and followed by, you know, Directors Guild and Golden Globes, Oscars. Like, what do you joke about? Like, how do you like and who's going to show up? You know, I know that some executives in town, people are pulling back from doing interviews and press because they don't want to get asked about it. They don't want to. And I think, you know, it's hard to be. Uh, I think, and uh, you know, you don't want to be the male pinata who sticks out your neck and then, but you know what, do you remember in, you know, 2002 when you said this in an interview, like you're disgusting yes. too. And I think, um, so there's, there's so many forces that are at work here that put Hollywood in like an unbelievably awkward position. And, and you know, James Corden is hosting the Hollywood Film Awards on Sunday and he got killed a few weeks ago for joking in an inappropriate way. I mean, uh, yeah, like, and what, his what is monologue, that? right? Yeah, and what is yeah. that? And what is too a, soon? Too soon. What does that really mean? And I think you know. And I think we see this all the time. There is a, you know, there is a fungible set of ethics here in Hollywood, or you know, or judgment, right? And that you know, at one point you can do this, but at another point you can't do that. And you know, and Seth MacFarlane can say in his Oscar monologue, you know, we saw your boobs, and make the Harvey Weinstein joke, and life goes on, and you know, um, but. But James Corden can't, who's supposed to be a comedian, can't stand up and make jokes. And- There's a show on Hulu called Different People where they've made like five or six different Kevin Spacey jokes over the course of the show. Just they oh, snuck them in. Wow. And nobody ever put two and two together. But right. there was, I read some blog post about it yesterday. I was like, all the times this show has snuck in a Kevin Spacey I mean, joke. Well, the, you know, the, I mean, I saw in the, um, LA Times story today about Brett Ratner, you know, Tina Fey at our, at our women's breakfast. We do right. this. Yes. I mean, at your breakfast, yes, and I think, I believe Brett Ratner was sitting there, which is, you know, kind of gross to think about now, but Brett Ratner sitting there at our breakfast for the hundred most powerful women in Hollywood. And Tina Fey makes the joke. Uh, Brett Ratner's here. Cause he thought it was the hundred, hundred women you could eat breakfast off of. Right. I mean, I, like, yeah. it's, you know, but I'm bummed. Everybody um, laughs. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and that's, that's sort of that weird, that weird cultural thing that's gone on here, right? Where you kind of laugh and you know, you're like, Ooh, that guy's a perv. Or like you laugh about someone being like on drugs or a weirdo. And then like, okay, like life goes on. But you know, my, my husband had worked at, um, he'd worked at the Horace Mann school in New York. Yeah. Which they had, had a big scandal. Oh my God. Like, like really just the most upsetting, you know, decades long sexual abuse of boys. Yeah. And it really was like a pedophile ring. And one of those teachers was this guy, Joseph Samari, who was the music teacher there. And when my husband was teaching there, Joseph Samari was, you know, close to retirement. But like, I remember my husband joking about him being a pervert, like, oh, no, no boy should ever, you know, no one should ever be alone with Joseph Samari. And I'm like, oh my God. So then, then Joseph Samari actually, you know, is named as one of like really the most incredibly troubling, disgusting assailants in all of this. And you think like, wow, nobody, nobody for like 25 years, like put it all together and made 
it happened, right? And, I mean, I'm from that generation. Right. And every, like I went to prep school, we had the two teachers that you knew, like, don't go, if you go camping, don't, don't go, don't stay sleep. away. Yeah. But we all kind of looked out for each other, but right. we would never thought to have tattled. Right. But it was right? like, yeah, stay away from that guy. Yes. And it's, it was the same thing with like, I had friends who were altar boys and stuff. And it was like, yeah, right. stay, don't, don't go to that priest's house. Like right. don't drink wine with him. Right. But they, everybody kind of looked out for each other. But totally. now it's like, right. it seems insane. That, that's how we acted. It's insane. But also, you know, I think like, you know, think about how we treat like Colin Kaepernick. Right. And it's like, you know, like, and it's, when did, when did, when did NFL games become so aligned with American patriotism, right? And this whole, like, co-opting by the biggest commercial enterprise that one can imagine. Yeah. Like, suddenly becoming, like, uh, like a, a, the fourth wing of the government, right? And that, that somehow, like, this, you know, this, this ability to, whether you agree with Colin Kaepernick or not, like, the, the ability to have, to freely express, like, something very real to peacefully protest right. something that he right. was trying to make a point. And about. I think to, if like, I think today, if you don't understand that there are that like the black American experience has maybe not fully been resolved, you know, right. then, then like you're, it's, it's so weird, but the, the pressure and the, and the desire to not have that conversation and, you know, and it's not just football, it's everything is so overwhelming. Right. And well, it seems there's, a, a, there's a, a weird overlap because in both instances you have people, trying to pretend that they know why right. Kaepernick's making the decision he's right. making. Right. And they're, they're not walking in his shoes. Well, I, and I, that's like when we get into trouble and it's the same thing with this Weinstein thing where we like, especially with older people, well, why are they going up to his room? Right. It's right. like, <laughs> wait right. a second. That's right. not the question. Exactly. We well, don't, I, th- that's not part of this. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing Colin Kaepernick probably still wishes he were playing football. Like, I yeah. don't think, like, I don't, like, I'm guessing like, you know, also, I, like, who who is some white dude in Alabama to be like, oh, Kaepernick should shut up. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't, what does he know? Like, right. It's like, this is how the dude feels. Right. He's speaking out. Like, right. at least, like, think about why he's doing it. Right, right. Well, I, I mean, I think that, you know, you see this with the Weinstein stuff and, like, with Kaepernick. Like, that I think that we are totally unresolved about how, like, where we really view the pecking order of society, right? And that, like, say whatever you whatever we say we think we are that you know at one point you know in the constitutional convention we said african americans are three-fifths of a white person right and then yeah and then but you know so we'll have a civil war which general kelly says could have been <laughs> could have been solved through compromise the other day which is, yeah. coats like skewered that oh one. my god that I was mean, great it's crazy so yeah. then um and then you know and then you have then but it takes a hundred years to actually legislate integration of schools right and so it's like these the you know and and somehow this thing that people believe that and then it takes black lives matter it takes like it takes video it takes people with cameras and phones to like start showing video of uh largely black men getting killed by police who are innocent like for this to actually become a conversation again i think and i think you know you and well, I when are, obama got elected it was like oh we're oh, good we're done. yeah oh, good like let's our let's racial move it along. issues are fine right. Totally. And I think that's, I think it's so, there are these periodic convulsions we need to sort of rethink and reset of, you know, what is actually going on here. And yeah, but this is com- the, the, the concept of an older male executive right. using that power 
to basically try to get laid or whatever right. the hell they're trying to do. Right. This has been something that's been going on for right. since right. the dawn of whenever yes. the first sure, office like, was created. Caveman was like, right. you know, doing this way back, right? Like, I mean, especially the bigger the corporation. Right. I know that I've worked at one that you would always hear stories about certain people and like, uh, wow. Yes. Why was that woman transferred into yep. that department? Yep. She had to. Yeah. Why? Well, something happened. Yep. And then it's like, oh, okay. Right. And so then, you know, so then, you know, you're you. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to inquire about it? Are you supposed to push harder? Are you like, what are you going to do? Like, and like, you're going to go like, is Bill Simmons going to go to the press and be like, you know, there's this woman situation. Yeah, I, like, this is like, weird. Yeah. Where'd like, she come from? Yeah, I don't get it. And um, so it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think that I'm just blown away by the scope of it. Not that it happened, but like, like. I, I think what's stunning is like this has all been going on, and we like we kind of knew, but not like this, right? Yeah. And well, I mean, think about it. the casting couch was yes one of the most famous go to right. I don't I don't know what the right word is. What people thought happened in Hollywood, right, right, and that like was, producers produce, they bring in girl. Oh, how'd that person? Right. I mean, there was like the famous nine hundred two one zero episode about it with Brenda Walsh. <laughs> Roy, Roy Randall. She's trying to get the part. Did she sleep with Roy Randall or not? I mean, this casting couch is yeah, 80, yes. 90 years. Yeah, it's... Uh, but then you see like, oh, it's the casting couch is actually way worse. It's way this worse. Is, and I I got to say, I'm I'm shocked by very little anymore, especially after Bill Cosby. Right. Like Bill Cosby was America's dad in yeah. the 80s. Like that, that one to me, after that, I was like, nothing's going to shock me. Right. But like... These stories about Harvey Weinstein, oh my the guy's God. like a serial rapist. Totally. If all of these allegations are true, he's a serial rapist. I mean, let's and say it's just like, 10 oh, of you knew he true. was, right. yeah, oh, yeah. Harvey, oh, he's, that's who he is. Yep. And this is like a hundred times worse yeah. than I, I ever mean, could have imagined. He's like, he's like the whole Catholic church scandal in one human being. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, the, the running the same play for 25 oh years. Right? of Hey, like, got a script in my room. Come on up. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to take a shower. Like, and this what he's doing this for 25 years. Nobody knew. It's, isn't that amazing? That like, and it's just it, like, I just so creeped out that, by the whole that thing. That the, the sort of influence and power of the actresses who've come forward, like, like, you know what? You could have said something then, but what would have, I don't know what would have happened. Like, I well, mean, the, and you read these stories like the Annabelle Sierra story oh. and it's like, you, I mean, I always thought she was a really good actress and, and, and I was wondering like, what, what happened, happened to her? Totally. Like, yeah. oh, that sucks for her. Remember she yeah. showed up in the Sopranos. Yes, like, wow, was I always great. liked her. Like, oh, it's Annabelle Sewer. Yeah. I always assumed she had like kids and stopped acting right. or something. Right. But I yeah, I mean, this is like, this story is, I, I don't know how it gets covered over the next couple of years or where it goes, but it certainly feels like the biggest Hollywood story well, of the I, last 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I hope it doesn't die and I, you know when, when I don't I don't think it's gonna die at all I think either, it's right? I think it's like a snowball rolling down the hill I mean you know just like on my when I was on the car ride over here I spoke to two people who had other stories about other people that I feel like are about to come out and yeah I'm like oh my god like it's it's everyone it's like that nice guy that nice executive you thought was like a really good guy it's but I mean you, you talked know. about the fearlessness you had at Hollywood Reporter the printing stuff it's hard to print stuff unless people go on the record. And I think Absolutely. what's changed the last three weeks is people are like, fuck it. I'm telling fuck my story. It. Yeah. Fuck and that's my why, NDA that's why, yeah. To- screw my NDA is right. a new one. I didn't right. even know people could do that. Right. Screw my NDA. And also like how, like, and then who's going to be the asshole? I don't, I will, like also how quickly these guys are like falling on the sword. Like Mark Halperin, I did it. 
yep, I did it. Like, sorry, yeah. you know, and like, no, but it's not the whole like protracted fight undermining of the undermining of the uh, of the woman. Um, and, you know, Brett Ratner was the only one today, you know, good old Marty Singer. And they're trying to trying to protect. Um, but it's uh, uh, it's like I, I don't know. But I do think this changes like let's let's remember October, I think, was maybe the worst box office month in the history of Hollywood. Like it's the you know, everything, everything is in free fall. So yeah. some of this is like fix it. Stranger Things was so much more important than any movie that came out this month. Can you name one movie? Can you name one movie? Did you, you go to the movies? I, no, you no, did not. 100% yeah. not. So, you know, so some of this is just how do you market Hollywood going forward? And so you, you fix it because it's the right thing to do. Right. And like and Hollywood is motivated by public perception and business. Right. So fix it because it's the right thing to do, but because that will also impact your image in the world. Right? Well, like, it's also, I mean, the biggest immediate outcome is this is going to lead to so much more diversity and high positions. Well, I right. think that will happen pretty much immediately. I, mean, I think like, I think that, um, you know, the Amazon job, right? So Roy Price, the head of Amazon. Three dudes Street, get knocked yeah, out. Yes. They, yeah. They're not getting replaced by three dudes. I, mean, I can it, promise you yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, if they, they will like, they will interview, you know, like every last female, on the planet to make sure they get that job, yeah. those jobs filled by females. And, you know, that's, that's a nice knee jerk. Right. And, um, but like, but, you know, think, think like the week before Hulu had their big, like switcheroo of executives, like right. someone to Fox, someone to Sony, and it's all like white guys being recirculated. You know, there is this list going around Hollywood of, uh, top jobs where women were never contacted to be interviewed. Right. It sounds it, like NFL head coaches. Right. This is, they had right. to create a rule Rudy, for this, the Rooney, Rooney rule. rule. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know your sports. I think yeah, you undersold yourself. <laughs> but, you know, and J.J. Abrams has tried to, you know, he's instituted sort of his own Rooney rule in the hiring of um, people for his productions. Yeah. Um, Ryan Murphy has in terms of directing, directing uh, directors on his shows. So it does work, right? But then, you know, people like, people just lose it. And I think it's, you know, like, it's all about, you know, you know, you can't regulate. Like, this is a town of, you know, largely all liberals who are all for regulation of in government. Right. And the second you want to regulate this industry, it's, you know, like, like no way. And, uh, so it really is incumbent upon the people at top. And, you know, you look at the people at top, all men, right. And they report to boards that are all men. And, you know, I think of the, of the six or seven studios in town that oversee all the TV networks and the, the film units, um, those boards are 17%. There's only 17% female representation. And I think, you know, we have this way of congratulating ourselves when we hire a woman or put a woman in one of those jobs. And like, no one ever freaks out saying, well, why isn't it 50%? You know, why? Like, if women are the biggest consumers of your entertainment, and like, especially, let's say, an Amazon, where I'm guessing the prime, the person who buys Amazon Prime is a female head of household, because men would never get around to doing it, right? And yeah. Um, like that, that sort of more of this doesn't filter up that way. Um, but I think there was this, you know, a lot of people talk in town. I don't know if you remember when there was this director, Colin Trevorrow, who had a breakout movie at Sundance and it was like this little indie film that cost nothing and made nothing. But Steven Spielberg saw it and he said these words, he said, he reminds me of a young version of myself. And so he hires Colin Trevorrow to be the director of Jurassic World which is, you know, I, let's say it's a $200 million, $200 million budget movie that goes on to be this huge blockbuster. And at that same Sundance, I believe, Ava DuVernay had a movie. And Ava DuVernay has, like, I think it was Selma, breakout hit, like, didn't make a ton of money, but did quite well, huge yeah. notoriety, got, you know, was in the Oscar conversation. No one comes to Ava DuVernay with that same 
you know, with because there was no one up at top saying Ava DuVernay reminds me of a young version of me, right? right. And so she's been really vocal, so smart about talking about how, um, like, so she's just had to make her own way, like, you know, partner with Oprah, which helps, and on projects. And um, that's going to change, though. The, the more different types of people that get in power, right? I think they'll be able to identify people like Ava better. The, as, yeah, at least I'm. That's, well, that would be my hope. The, you know, this person I was talking to yesterday used this great example. There were two movies this summer uh, that had female protagonists. So Atomic Blonde yeah. and Wonder Woman. And uh, the person was saying, you know, Atomic Blonde, like all these guys at the studios thought it was going to be huge. It's a female movie. And it's not a female movie. It's a, uh, like a, a movie with a female lead that dudes would have constructed, right? Like, yes. Plot, like, totally. It's a dude movie. And Wonder Woman with had Patty Jenkins as the director and had this authentic female story and it did huge. And that's sort of the disconnect, right? That's going on where... Um, Charlize was on this podcast. She told a story about when she did Monster mm-hmm. and the executive that funded it was mad because he thought he was funding a movie about a hot serial killer. And they had to like walk him off the right, ledge. Right. No, it's actually it's not a it's right. a movie about a serial killer. Mm-hmm. It's not. There's no. There's not a sex appeal component mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. We have to go. I could have done this for another two hours. Well, this was fun though. Thank you. This um, was fun. Congrats on on running strategy for stuff for the Guggenheims. <laughs> Something good will happen. I'm excited to see what your next giant thing is. You have um, a giant thing soon. Um. Probably. We'll see. Yeah. I would guess. I'm betting on you. You're very nice. I like my I like my thing right now. So let's see. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much to Janice and thanks to the Ringer NFL show where Tate and Lombardi graciously allowed me to crash their party this week. You can subscribe to that, to GM, the GM Street Podcast on the Ringer NFL show. Thanks to SeatGeek. Don't forget, NBA fans, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets. Use promo code BSNBA. And don't forget about the ringer.com. As usual, we're loaded with great stuff this week. Uh, if you have 20 minutes, I would read Brian Curtis's piece about the Padres and the John Birch Society from the 1980s. It is really kooky and it's really well done. And we have a whole bunch of NBA stuff and uh, Stranger Things, you name it. So check that out. That is also where my column goes on Fridays. And speaking of Friday, the BS Podcast will be back on Friday with another edition. Until then.